Now here's a highlight from Coast to Coast AM on iHeartRadio. How did you get involved in cosmology? Curiosity, I think. From a very, very early age, if you've asked my mum, my biggest question was, why, why, why? So I actually, at the age of four, um, had what I've called ever since some multidimensional experiences. Um, so, you know, telepathy, precognition, etc., uh, out-of-body experiences. So I was already experiencing the world and reality much, much bigger than the physical uh, universe. So that sort of got me interested and, and piqued my curiosity to experience walking between worlds. And at the same time, I was really curious as to how this sort of greater sense of reality, how it made, how it created what we call the physical world. And a cosmologist is usually someone who researches the, the, our universe, but for me, it's somebody who's curious about the nature of reality on every level and as big a picture as we can possibly explore. They just uh, released a story yesterday that they found another exoplanet 110 light years away from Earth. Uh, with water, they're convinced it's close enough to its star where it's you know warm like Earth. Who knows? Could be everywhere. I, I, I feel that. And, you know, I remember when I was doing my, my physics degree at Oxford all those years ago, um, there's the, the some notion of exoplanets that could harbor biological life was completely poo-pooed. And yet at the same time, uh, people like Fred Hoyle were saying, well, actually, you know, biological life could have been seeded from space onto Earth. And that again was poo-pooed. And the more we actually do learn the more we realize that the universe is incredibly set up to exist, you know, to exist to evolve and to evolve into biological life. And so, you know, the water, the water that's within us, um, half of it, there was an analysis a couple of years ago, half of the water within us and on Earth is older than the sun. My gosh. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that Remarkable. Truly remarkable. And you, you're one of the leading voices tying science and spirituality together. Where do you stand there? In the middle. Yeah. Um, smart, <laughs> smart place to be. <laughs> well, for me, there's, you know, science is a methodology of exploring how reality is, is, is made up. And spirituality is a quest for why, for meaning. So for me, the how and the why have always danced together. And so, you know, my, my spiritual quest for, for meaning and understanding has always gone alongside the science. I just feel that, unfortunately, um, for me, true science is about following the evidence wherever it leads. And I think that a lot of science has sort of got caught in a cul-de-sac of a sort of materialistic and reductionist worldview, which now actually has been turned on its head because the evidence is coming forward that, that you know, the, 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 the sense of a, a solely materialistic world um, of separation and somehow accidental um, evolutionary processes have caused consciousness to arise and it's all accidental and here now we are. 
um, is literally being turned on its head. And that's where this convergence of science and spirituality is coming ever closer together. Yeah, it is remarkable. And, you know, prior to writing The Cosmic Hologram, which we're talking about tonight, you've got a number of other books out there, but they kind of deal with spirituality, don't they? They do, and they deal with perhaps on a personal level, but also on a collective level, the sense that that I've had um, for many, many years that we are at a very, very special point in, you know, the stories of us and the story of a universe which has an innate evolutionary impulse. And it seems to me that because our perspectives in the last few hundred years have got, you know, fragmented, we sort of disenchanted ourselves from from a a, a universe, a living universe. Um, And our beliefs drive our behaviors. So our fragmented perspectives have driven our dysfunctional behaviors. But my sense is that this is a time of remembering who we really are. So some of those books deal with that remembering and what it might mean for us. Um, You know, this incredible pivotal moment um, of our story. And the story of Gaia and the story of the universe. Do you believe in God, Jude? I, I don't believe... I'd rather like Jung, actually. Jung on his deathbed was asked, Carl Jung, the great psychiatrist, was, yeah. do you believe in God? And he said, no. He said, I know God. It's, it's <laughs> rather more an experience of, of wholeness and oneness, what, whatever name it goes by, whether it's God or Allah or, or great mystery or cosmic mind. It's, for me, it's this experience sense of of ultimate wholeness and, and a reality that's ultimately unified and yet differentiated. So rather than a sort of religious aspect of it, it's more a sort of a conscious experiential perspective that you know mind and consciousness aren't something we have, but literally what we and the whole world are. And that I can go by the name of God or, or any other name that people feel comfortable with. There's no question that, you know, when we think about how we got here, what our existence is in the universe, it's perplexing, and nobody really knows. Nobody has the answer. I still, every time I interview a physicist, I try to get their definition of the Big Bang, and I still can't get that. I can't grasp how something started from nothing. There's got to be something out there that we just don't understand. Well, I well, completely agree, and I think any of our understanding is always a work in progress. I think what's coming clearer, though, is, is first of all, the Big Bang wasn't big and it wasn't a bang. It was tiny, as, as we know. It was minute, but it was finitely minute. It wasn't an infinite singularity. We now understand from the best cosmology we have, or work in progress, that, that it began in a finite way at something called the Planck scale. And it wasn't a bang because, I mean, if I asked you, what does a bang mean to you? To me, it's like an explosion. Yeah. With all the chaos that that, you know, uh, uh, based on. And it wasn't. It was exquisite. It was, you know, our universe, the laws of physics, the principles of physics are so fine-tuned. And from that first moment of space and time, our universe was set up in such an amazingly, incredibly ordered way it literally exists to evolve. This is innate evolutionary impulse from simplicity to complexity. So instead of Big Bang, I'm defining, restating this process, continuing process, as more of a big breath. And that ties much more into ancient 
understanding of a meaningful universe of which we are its microcosmic evolutionary partners. And, and now we're talking about, my, you know, multiverses, truly remarkable. It is. And, you know, multiverses, the, the sort of the main multiverse hypothesis was really set up to, in my perspective, to avoid the, the, the question of consciousness um, and to still see our universe as somehow a random event, whereas I would propose that all the evidence is showing, rather, that our universe is a great and finite thought in the infinite and eternal mind of the cosmos, and therefore there are almost certainly many other thoughts, some which might last a moment, some which might last 13.8 billion years as ours has so far, but nonetheless finite thought forms in the mind of the cosmos. And, and that's something that I think Einstein would be very comfortable with, and also the pioneers, many of the pioneers of, of quantum physics, such as, as Max Planck, um, another great hero of mine, um, would be very comfortable with. Yes. We're with Dr. Jude Curvin, PhD. We're talking about her latest work, The Cosmic Hologram, which we'll get into. You're the co-founder of the wholeworld-view.org. Tell us about that. Yes, I am, um, accidentally. Oh, really? <laughs> well, I thought I was writing a book. Uh, it turned out I was co-founding a movement. Um, it, it's, it is amazing. What basically happened, George, is that the, the Cosmic Hologram came out in spring of 2017. And through a whole wondrous synchronicity, we launched it at the United Nations in New York. And then a couple of months later, we had the British launch at the House of Lords in London. And we invited both in New York and then in, in London um, 90 change makers because what I felt about writing the book is its aim is to help provide the evidence that I hope will help to heal our fragmented perspectives about the nature of reality um, and therefore help to heal our, our behaviors. So instead of coming from the perception of materialistic separation, we can sort of turn around and come from a, a sense of a deeper unifying reality, which is radically diversified in its expression. So these change makers came along and they said, well, what are we going to do? And I said, well, maybe we can come together to co-found Whole World View as this sense of wholeness and the evidence for it. But crucially, not just understanding it, but then how do we experience and embody such unity awareness in the world? And how can we serve our collective humanity to help understand this uh, more integrated sense of reality and support transformational change in the world? So from a standing start then, two years ago, we're now up to over 800 global change makers, each of whom have their own network, community, organization, and progressively trying to scale up and speed up this, this message of wholeness. That's amazing. It's truly remarkable the, how this all functions. I'm amazed at the universe, Jude, how orderly it is and how everything seems to work and fit. It, it, it's bizarre. It is amazing, isn't it? It's truly incredible. And it was set up like that from the get-go. 
you know, as I mentioned earlier, you know, Lee Smolin of the Perimeter Institute in Ontario a while ago looked at all the sort of constants of nature and worked out that if those constants and their interrelationships was out by more than one part in a thousand trillion trillion, our universe could not exist and evolve. But it does. And it does. And it does. And it does. And it really has this incredible um, setup. So it began at its, at its, you know, its greatest simplicity and its greatest level of, of, of sort of um, order. But instead of evolving from order to disorder, it literally evolves from simplicity to complexity and ever greater individuated awareness, which is why you and I can be having this conversation and why we're finding exoplanets now, thousands of them, in the sort of closeness of, of our galaxy alone, yeah, that shows that, that this sort of increasing, evolving complexity is, is universal. Life will find a way. Our universe will find a way to express itself and its, and its evolving intelligence. So... I'm going to ask you this, if you're a believer that there is intelligent life in the universe. I'm not going to even ask you if you think it's been here, if it's visited <laughs> here. But uh, you know, we talk a lot about that in this program. But do you think in the vastness of space with billions of planets, what do you think? Absolutely emphatic, yes. And, you know, one reason is just to actually look at the evidence. Before... Our solar system was formed. If you go back 13.8 billion years, okay, over the first 380,000 years or so, our universe wasn't even transparent to light. It was like foggy. It was so hot, but ordered nonetheless. And throughout it, sound waves were pulsing. And those sound waves were shepherding tiny clusterings, which became the first stars. And those stars, those first generation of stars, were like rock stars. They lived hard and died young. But what they did in doing so was they, that their fuel to, to, to make them shine went from the simplest of elements, which is hydrogen, through to heavier and heavier elements. And when they finally died, because they were so massive, they exploded, supernova, and they seeded, they started to seed the interstellar medium with these elements. Fast forward another billions of years and possibly one or two more generations of stars and you have an interstellar medium within our galaxy and almost certainly within other galaxies and many, many, many other galaxies, which is the harbinger of life, of biological life. You have ice, you have water, you have dust and, and gas, all of, and you have prebiotic molecules. You have these earliest um, complex organic molecules. So they're like, these interstellar dust clouds are like, they are, they're birthing clouds. Yeah, and it just doesn't happen. It just no, doesn't it happen by chance. There's no. no way. No way. Absolutely no way. And when you look at the evidence at all scales and numerous fields of research, time and time and time again, you see the same patterns, you see this exquisite interrelationships, and you see a profound impulse to evolve. And as you said earlier, you know, we're finding exoplanets now 
um, in the Goldilocks zone, not too hot, not too cold. We're finding them with water. And even in our own solar system, we're finding not just on Earth, but, you know, the moons of Jupiter and Saturn look as though they have salt water oceans beneath a crust of ice. And that may not be able to support complex biology, but it looks more and more as though there will be some biological life forms that we're going to find when we, when we go and visit the, the, the moons of Jupiter and Saturn. And the seed of life is the same everywhere. Yes. It's yes, just it's a matter of having the right chemical mix, you know, the, the right warmth, as you just mentioned, yeah. the water, and all of a yeah. sudden I think that plant, be it a human being or whatever you want to call us, it grows. It grows. It grows. And it strives. I'm not saying that, you know, every exoplanet we're going to find has the abundance, the, the absolute amazing abundance of, of biological life here on Earth. But it suggests by these interstellar bursting clouds that all of the, if you like, the nutrients to actually seed life on rocky planets such as Earth are already there. And they were there five billion years ago when our planetary system came into being. Listen to more Coast to Coast AM every weeknight at 1 a.m. Eastern and go to coasttocoastam.com for more.